and gents, and welcome back to Callum and David's Any Requests podcast. Welcome back. Um, quite a different episode this week. Yeah, absolutely. So we are on to uh, the second request uh, from my brother-in-law, Steve, uh, who has asked us to look at the work of Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead. Uh, who are a filmmaking duo um, in the kind of late 30s. Um, they made their first feature in 2012, so relatively recent filmmakers. Yeah, quite young. Um, now, I'm not particularly, you know, massive film buff, um, but I, I mean, I, I like watching films like most people, but I'd never heard of uh, Benson and Moorhead before. I'd never heard of the genre cosmic horror. Mm. Um, which is what you've been asked to kind of talk about. Yeah. Um, do you want to speak a little bit about that? Because you yeah. you know a little bit. Yeah, so I um, was vaguely aware of uh, Benson and Moorhead because of uh, the wonderful film Spring, which was their second film, uh, which we'll talk about a little bit later on. Um, but uh, I had uh, their other two films, main films, had passed me by. And I had they, they do a segment as well. There's a... Uh, a sort of compilation horror film called VHS and it's about 10, 15 different directors doing these little 10 minute segments. Um, I I saw that when it first came out about five years ago. Um, uh, So I've seen that. And and they contributed to that. They contributed to that. So I've seen that segment. I've seen spring. Um, But yeah, not hugely aware of them and their work before this, which is why I was particularly excited for me as well to get into this. Um, But cosmic horror is something I have been, aware of um it stems from um uh, a writer that probably a lot of people have heard of but maybe not actually come across hugely which is a hp lovecraft um i actually i find lovecraft uh, you you hit you hear things being referred to as lovecraftian <laughs> more than you actually ever see any like direct adaptations of his work <laughs> yeah. or a lot like like i think his his it's interesting because i think there's probably m- the people that are influenced by him are probably their works better known than his own original work. Um, so, I mean, yeah, born, I think, in 1890 um, and was writing in the very early part of the 20th century. Uh, and essentially, cosmic horror is also known as Lovecraftian horror. Right. Uh, and it's this, it's basically the idea of horror not having to be um, supernatural or... Um, uh, you know, like uh, uh, psychopaths or, or, or murderous killers, uh, serial killers, or, yeah, ghosts or witches the or vampires. The usual kind of tropes that you'd find in horror. Yeah. Um, cosmic horror or Lovecraftian horror is about the horror of the slipping veneer of normality, essentially. <laughs> it, it, it's the horror of what if everything you knew about reality was questioned. Yeah. Um, uh, this kind of, yeah... Um, uh, dismantling of everyday kind of constructs um of of life um and yeah will resonate with some people at the moment (laughs) (laughs) yeah well yeah actually funnily enough um although you know that the films we're talking about maybe between 2012 2017 um uh especially the endless the third film we'll talk about is uh, a few lines that ring true at, at the moment um very specifically um but yeah no so Lovecraft, um, uh, 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 Cthulhu, Cthulhu, I can never say it, Cthulhu, uh, was, uh, his kind of most famous work, um, I think it's called The Call of Cthulhu or something like that, um, 
which is based on a kind of giant sea monster type thing. Um, uh, but he also, um, uh, a lot of his stories were in the same shared universe, and they all revolved around this book called the Necromonicon, which uh, turns up, which is essentially a fictional um, uh, sort of magic-esque book that, that turns up a lot in a lot of his different uh, works, and that's interesting, linking back to Benson and Moorhead, who clearly like the idea that all of their films live within the same world. Um, yeah. And we'll talk a bit about specifically um, how Resolution and The Endless are connected. Um, but before we go any further, we should say um, we know a lot of our listeners uh, of the Creek podcast of other any requests often will listen to us and not necessarily have seen what we're talking about and what we're talking about. A few, um, a few times people have, you know, we've kind of adopted almost a little uh, motto, which is uh, yeah. we watched it so you don't have to. Yeah. Um, uh, this one more than any other, we would really urge if you haven't seen uh, the films please stop listening to this now and go and watch them um it, you know we don't want to deliberately give away spoilers or, or or give too much away but it's difficult to talk about the films yeah. without revealing some stuff and i do think you these films are so important i think to get the most out of them to go in completely blind to yeah. what you're going to experience um and i think that's what they want as filmmakers you to have as well so I really would say if, if you are listening to this now and haven't seen the films, if you do continue listening, what we say may affect adversely your experience and enjoyment of of watching them, knowing what we're going to talk about. It, you know, you still be able to appreciate them as great films, but I really do think. Oh yeah, it's I totally uh, agree, and I'm I'm glad we kind of made that decision to kind of put a big spoiler alert out there. Yeah. Um, I would also just say, you know, if you've got the time, it's three movies. Yeah, it's absolutely for me personally starting off with uh the first one of the kind of the trio um uh, that we're talking about resolution yeah i absolutely loved it i yeah. just loved yeah. the whole thing from start to finish yeah um i've never seen a film like it um and i again going in completely cold even colder than you to to the filmmakers the film yeah. anything about them um and I'm trying to work out what I liked about it. But again, with any great film or kind of work of art, really, or media you mm -hmm. know, that we talk about on here or in, in life, it really is a, com a, a mixture of all different components coming together really, really well. Yeah. And I think that that is, is probably down to the fact that Benson and Moorhead are both obviously clearly very, very accomplished collaborators. Yeah not least with each other, but also with the people they work with. Yeah. Um, I was uh, reading an article, which I'll refer to quite a few times. It's in The Independent, if you're interested. Um, uh, just so, so it's not my own research. <laughs> um, um, but it talks about the fact that they live in the same apartment block yeah. um, and often uh, do a lot of the work um, at either one of the flats and they'll kind of work on a movie together in, yeah. one, in one room together. Yeah. Um, and you and I do that a lot as well. Yeah. We Obviously, we live together, um, as we've kind of expressed before, and we work and write a lot together. Yeah. And there is something when you're really cooking, I think, as a, as a duo, as a collaborator when you're just in each other's, you know exactly what the other person is going to write. You know, almost finishing the line before the other person's yeah. finished writing it or coming up with that idea. Um, and sometimes that can be really exciting. Um, 
and, and I think that that's really clear in Resolution that there's a clear bounce between and gel between the script um, and and the cinematography yeah. and then the direction as a co as a co director credit, which, which yeah. is lovely. Yeah. Um, so they met um, uh, in 2010. So actually, only about two years before they made resolution which is That's interesting mad, it? Yeah. because it feels like there was a much longer collaboration process but yeah they met in 2010 they were both working uh interning for ridley scott uh uh him and uh his late brother tony scott had a uh, uh what still exists production company called scott free productions who do a lot of ridley scott's films did a lot of tony scott's films but also do a lot of commercials or music videos and they were kind of production assistants on those and got chatting both being interns they um they the scott brothers started out in commercials is that right yeah. um yeah. and kind of got cut their teeth and knowing because i think uh ridley scott talks about the fact that actually despite now being a kind of multi uh award-winning money's not really an option on a lot of his films yeah he apparently he's known for still being quite efficient with the budget right and he always says well i started out in tv remember i started yeah, out in yeah, commercials. yeah 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 um, um so yeah, so they and it, it, interestingly, Justin Benson was um, all ready to go off to medical school the next year. Obviously, loved filmmaking wow. as a kid and made a lot of films as a as a as a young guy, but um, always yeah was was going into medicine and then uh, had this gap year before he was going to go to med school um, and decided to, uh, as he saw it, kind of last chance to kind of really do something he loved before. Yeah, kind of going into this more kind of conventional career path, and then met Aaron Moorhead, and they clicked and went, "No, screw it, let's make films." So, just incredible. Yeah. Um, and I think you know we can talk a lot about their career progression um, as as the kind of films progress. Yeah. It feels kind of right to do that. Um, but what I find amazing is mm. looking at those movies, the creativity and the uh thinking i hate, hate this phrase but thinking outside of the conventional box yeah. of filmmaking to find another person who thinks about film that way yeah must be just a complete kind of moment of uh i don't know star-crossed filmmakers yeah. kind of meeting in that production office yeah um but then I, but I find it really hard to articulate, which is obviously what this whole thing is about, right? <laughs> so I was trying to articulate. I find it hard to articulate what it is about these uh, filmmakers that makes them so unique. Um, I think for f- to start off with, um, the no no film um, you know like this. It's a very di- resolution. It's a very dialogue heavy film, mm-hmm. uh, and all three of them actually are yeah. very dialogue driven pieces. Um, in the sense that there's a lot of text there, so it's a heavy script, but it feels incredibly loose and incredibly um, naturalistic in terms of yeah. the way in which the dialogue is delivered and the way it, the performances are really natural, yeah, um, and also really comical. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it would be easy to talk about the art and a lot of the darkness and a lot of the big kind of clever themes, and we could, yeah. you know, use the word Lovecraftian a lot. But if you, you know, I'm interested to see if you agree at at home. I found it hilarious. I found it really funny. Yeah. Um, So it's, you know, uh, a a, a lot of the uh, stuff you'll read about uh, Resolution in particular um, makes reference to it being heavily influenced by the Mumblecore uh, film movement. Um, For those who don't know, Mumblecore was a film movement that happened in about the early to mid noughties um uh, a sort of team of writers and directors all making films around the same time a guy called joe swanberg um 
uh, films like a film called The Puffy Chair is quite a big touchstone of that uh, genre. Um, and also people like Greta Gerwig, who of course has made it huge, probably the most successful uh, story. And um, um, oh, his name's gone out of my head now. The director of uh, the Meyerowitz stories on Netflix. Oh, like yes. That, and um, Greenberg. Um, but yeah. Uh, and and the Duplass brothers uh, as well, Mark and Jay Duplass. Uh, Mark Duplass, you might know, is the lead plays Pete in the League. If anyone watches that, but um, they uh, created this kind of uh, genre. Well, again, it's a bit like um, see we talked about before. We're 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 in the theatre industry, and there was a movement in the nineties uh, called In Your Face Theatre, <laughs> and uh, all of the playwrights that um, uh, Alex Sitz, the the uh, writer, kind of lumped into the in your face movement all kind of reject it and kind yeah. of say no we're our own individual but and, and actually a lot of the the interviews with the guys in the mumblecore movement all kind of say we weren't going out to make this move you know they didn't come up with this this was kind of uh film critics imposing yeah a movement upon them but nevertheless it kind of they share the tropes largely the two main things about mumblecore are uh largely improvised um dialogue and generally non-professional actors or actors that have done very little work had very little exposure um and uh, this is to give it a very ultra naturalistic feel um uh, so they feel like real conversations and i think that's what you get in resolution between uh the two characters Um, you definitely do and i think um there's a real chemistry between uh peter i don't know if i'm gonna say this right uh silella or silella uh yeah so c-i Sileia, i think yeah chilella i don't know yeah um and uh vinnie curran yeah and it is essentially a two-hander isn't it um yeah i mean you've got you've got these odd sort of characters that orbit the periphery mm. um the two drug dealers that are, that are after them you've got this native american guy that's a bit shady and yeah, but 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 generally, as you say, for the most part, it's those two. And and, and just uh, for a bit of context, um, we're talking. You know, the, obviously, hopefully, you're listening to this having watched the film. Yeah. Um, but you've got um, uh, Vinnie Curran uh, playing this uh, old school friend of yeah. uh, called Chris, um, and his school friend Mark uh, Mike. Yeah. Um, comes out to find him. He's in the kind of desert somewhere. Um, presumably Californian desert. I think it's um, uh, it's a Navajo. Um, yeah, yeah. It's 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 probably yeah California Nevada um, out that way. But because as well, you've got the links then to things like um, uh, where Area Fifty One is yeah. and things like that. There, there's an interesting mythos about that particular area of of the kind of uh, uh, Sierra Nevada California border. Um, and I know it was it was shot around there. Yeah. Um, so he comes out to to get him, and and he is a, a crack at it, Chris. Um, and so he comes to kind of yeah. say, "I'm going to take you to rehab." Yeah. And he leaves his wife, and she says, "What's going to happen?" He says, "I'm going to go there." He's going to say, "No, I'm going to come back." Yeah. But instead, he you know chains him to a, a like a pipe, handcuffs him. him to a pipe. Yeah. yeah handcuffs. Says, him. Yeah. You've got seven days if you still want to go down this road, road, road and kill yourself using drugs. Then you'll never see me again, and it's your you know it's your own choice but i've got to try this one last yeah. time yeah and and so it becomes you know the film i'm watching it you know cold going oh this is fantastic it's a yeah. you know 
wonderfully written, wonderfully acted, intimate story about the love of two men yeah. who... Uh, a know, comedy drama about an intervention. Yeah, it's it feels like a comedy drama about... That's exactly how yeah. it's set up, right? Yeah. Yeah, and it's and it is, and it, yeah. I say it's set up. It's not. It doesn't become not about that. Yeah, it yeah, is yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But so many other things happen, and they find that they're in this loop, right? Where yeah. they, well, they they find they're in a kind of uh, a, lots of weird things keep turning up, and it's all about film, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So they get um, you know, like uh, old old super eights, um, old projectors that photographs. Are, yeah, and 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 it shifts from. Uh, Mike accidentally finding this stuff kind of as he's sort of it's like this empty shell of a half built house on this yeah. Native American reservation um, and he's yeah kind of as he's sifting through stuff sort of, he goes oh f- finds these old photos and then suddenly things like um, uh, projection slides are just on his chest as he wakes up one morning and it starts to feel more like they're being deliberately left for them um and mike decides to kind of try and get this uh sorted you yeah. know and try and find out where it's coming from but the the, the footage particularly they're like the pictures ten, yeah. are pictures of them taken currently well as the film progresses yeah, yeah. i mean early on, early on these not, yeah. old kind of almost victorian uh, yeah. style portraits of people he, he's not aware of and thinks yeah so there's it's just at the start old stuff that's clearly just been left at this house is what he thinks and then yeah as 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 the stuff turns up in more weirder ways the 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 content of what's turning up as well becomes very eerie and creepy and the laptop turns on by itself and starts playing a, a, yeah. a video of things that haven't happened yet as you say with both of them in it so suddenly you're in this kind of sci-fi film yeah um but also there's something really meta about it and you know i think uh, um well i was gonna say if there's meta is that we use it in theater all the time yeah. Me- meta theatrical roughly translates as like play within a play yeah. right um when when hamlet talks to the players that whole thing is a bit kind of yeah. meta theatrical yeah uh meta filmic in this in this situation yeah it very much you've got filmmakers who and and by this time, although yeah, it does feel like a comedy drama about you know a guy trying to get his mate off drugs. Yeah. you're already aware from every shot from the minute Mike wakes up next to Jennifer yeah. to the the journey to arriving. You know that pretty much every shot could be a postcard, right? Yeah. So I already am invested yeah. in Benson and Moorhead yeah. as filmmakers because I, I know how good they are from within five minutes of the movie. I think I th- I. Th- I think I've talked before about uh, my my love for the trope of the unreliable narrator. Um, <laughs> and this feels like it's taking it a step further because actually what they've created is an unreliable cameraman. Yeah. Like, yeah. like the, the physically, the film, you can't trust the film you're watching, which is kind of a, a quite a, a breaking, quite a cardinal rule of, yeah. of filmmaking is that, you know, the, the, the camera is the eye of the audience and so to to actually get the audience to mistrust what they're seeing um I, I when we when we watched it the other day after it finished i was saying to come um a film that springs to mind when thinking about this film is a film called funny games um by the director uh uh michael Haneke, um who weirdly remade it as an american film um uh i think it was german or possibly scandinavian originally um and uh it's essentially it's a home invasion thriller um and this very nasty 
gang break into this home and uh, it's a family and they rape the women and uh, they you know beat up and, and they end up killing all but but this one girl you know the, the, the final girl trope that you see a lot in, in horrors and thrillers um and she has them on the back foot and you think she's gonna survive and she's gonna get them and then one of the one of these evil guys pulls out a remote control and physically rewinds the film and you see the film rewind to before she has the upper hand and then they screw her over and so it's like even when you think they've and 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 i do have issues with that film i think it is quite a cynical film and i'm not quite sure the the bad guys always win yeah i'm not quite sure the message that it's sending um and i think there are problems with glorification in that film of certain things but um that that specific thing uh uh, rang true with, with this film as well in terms of that idea of the physical medium of which you're creating something is has become a character within it you know to to the very point of at the end of the film whatever they're talking to which is constantly referred to actually in um in uh some essays and stuff i found online about their films as, as as the entity um uh in both this film and in the endless um and when they're talking to quote unquote the entity the actual film like melts like, yeah as you're watching so it's, it's really weird it is like it's talking to the actual celluloid that it's been made on which, which 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 speaks to that as you were talking about what makes something lovecraftian yeah um or, or cosmic horror yeah the the veneer in this medium yeah. is film right yeah. it's in, in a literal and a physical yeah. and, a, and a metaphorical sense and that's what starts to slip the veneer yeah. of of the the barrier between you as the audience yeah. and the film you're watching s- literally starts to crumble yeah. um in in parts of the resolution and very much towards the end yeah. and and i feel that that is a great having you know j- taking your analogy as my yeah. education on what makes something lovecraftian um it's a really lovely example of that. A- a- absolutely um and I, and i think and, and it does something funny to you i mean the last 20 minutes of the film i was really nervous <laughs> and and there's nothing specifically because you know it, it's interesting there is almost in fact I don't know if there's any underscoring i don't think there's any any music at all in resolution which is incredible because we talk i think we've talked on this very podcast in other episodes about the importance of a score and yeah. how especially in things like ramping up tension um um an underscore is is so important you try know. try watching jaws with the sound off yeah or no, psycho no, or you know yeah. they're not scary <laughs> no yet somehow just there's this point where mike and chris are having this conversation and they're and they're they're waiting for these drug dealers who are after them to come back into their house and it's quite a long conversation and it's a relatively mundane conversation about what it's like but, to have a wife yeah what it's like the, to be single the whole time i like my heart was racing because because i couldn't trust anything i was seeing yeah. um and it's brilliant it's very different to anything i've i've experienced or felt before watching a film is yeah it's it's um well it's it's a it's a great piece of work you maybe want to go back and check because um obviously i did do a bit of composition and mm. um actually for a comedy video i was using some low frequency um stuff that you that you i mean get on logic yeah. um and you don't know it's there until it's gone. 
but it is a, a presence. And I wonder if they were using some low frequencies. Then I, I wondered if there might be some soundscaping or something, S- that, something that's going not on. necessarily, yeah, underscoring in the traditional sense, but but cer- certain sound design that might be in there. Um, um, I, I, but I, I wasn't thinking about that whilst watching it at no, all. I no. was just uh, really wrapped up. Um, and I, there was also something that I just... I think that essentially you've got, you know, as actors as in theatre, you know, people have these conversations about any drama on a film yeah. set. What is the action or, or motivation of your, what's my motivation, man, yeah. of your character? And normally, you know, David Mamet always says your motivation is either, what is it, it's, it's sex, money and death, right? Yeah. Those are your yeah, three yeah, things yeah, yeah, that yeah, most yeah. people in the world want. Yeah. Uh, even if you think you want something else, it probably amounts to one of those three. Yeah. In this situation, it, Mike's motivation is to get Chris clean. And even though everything kind of goes wrong and the wheels come off and the literal film starts to disintegrate, there is this moment where Chris does um, say, you know, I'm, I'm going to, I'm, I'm ready to go to rehab. Yeah. And although it is a, that is a spoiler, I feel like it's really important talking about the attention to detail that Benton and Moorhead have for structure. Yeah. Because they ha- they set up a motivation at the very beginning, yeah, and it is answered at the end, yeah. Having said that, it's never wrapped up in a tight, neat little no. ball for any of the characters. No. So they're kind of really screwing with traditional film structure. I, I think. Yeah, um, you very rightly mentioned um, after we watched Resolution, uh, Ben Wheatley, um, and I think there is. Uh, a very clear connection um to ben wheatley's work and uh benson and moorhead's work ben wheatley uh director of kill list uh a field in england um and 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 kill list especially um i think it is a lot darker there's there's far in fact i don't remember any humor uh, in <laughs> kill list it's a very bleak film uh he's sometimes described as folk horror i was reading folk uh, horror in, in yeah. reference to kill list particularly yeah um but the idea of being able to create a film that on the surface seems without structure, but it only is able to seem that way because there's a meticulous level of structure hidden underneath. And I think that's what uh, uh, Wheatley does, and I think that's what Benson and Moorhead do, is, is they structure a film so well that they're able to kind of lay this feeling uh, that it's that it's just sort of ambling around yeah. um mm. but as you say the points are set up and the points are by and large resolved <laughs> hence the name um <laughs> yeah. uh, but and 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 i think that's something kill list does as well is on the face of it when you watch that film you you have no idea where you are at some points in that film or what's going on um but at the end of it everything's paid off that's been set up right back at the beginning um and uh and and yeah it's it's just again it really strikes me um i i hadn't thought of it until you said it but the more i think about it the more i think they are very similar filmmakers and it feels like a movement at the moment um and that has happened the last 10 years that i think british british and american independent filmmaking seems to really be having a bit of a renaissance um and i don't think it's something you've really seen since the late 60s and early 70s um uh, when you had people in America like John Cassavetes or Peter Bogdanovich um, 
a lot of the even uh francis for and martin scorsese when they were starting out um a lot of these guys uh trained under the director roger corman who did um uh, these sort of don't know how you describe them um almost soft porn type films but he was this uh um huge mentor of, of all these young uh film directors starting out in the 60s and they were all kind of auteurs and i feel like america and britain lost that and i feel like mainland europe have always nurtured in their cinematic yeah. um, worlds auteurs and and i think and it feels like in the last 10 years that's come back you've got a guy like um uh, Jeremy Saulnier, American director who did a film called Blue Ruin um, and Green Room, who's absolutely fantastic. very similar in style and feel. Um, uh, and also someone else um, I wanted to mention is a guy called Shane Carruth. Um, Shane Carruth, who directed uh, a film called Primer, which is one of the most realistic films about time travel you'll ever see. Because <laughs> um, uh, it's all about, like, it's, 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 I think uh, actually it was read once years ago. It, it, it came in two thousand three, I think, so a little, little bit earlier than the rest of these we're talking about. But it's the most accurate time travel film if it ever existed because they uh, Shane Carruth really researched the science, and it's actually more about the science of really making a time machine than anything. Well, it helped me to understand time travel in a way that I didn't with Crime Traveler. Maybe, maybe, um, but also maybe not because <laughs> because he. he like Benson and Moorhead, uh, plays with your perceptions of reality, and even more so in his film Upstream Colour, um, which I think that film uh, shares a lot with Spring as well. Um, but yeah, it, it just it feels... And I think Jordan Peele, I think, um, I is, talk is, about, yeah. is someone... You know, Get Out, I think, is a film to mention when we talk about these films, because we're talking about the idea of genre bending, which... Yeah, it seems to be really coming to prominence uh, now. It, genres seem a lot less defined than they used to be, which I think is really exciting for filmmaking. They're not. It feels now that films don't have to tick particular boxes. I mean, they still do in, I guess, the big wide commercial sense. But films are doing well commercially that are defying those boxes. I think Get Out's a great example. I I uh, uh, I've seen Get Out and I, I adored it. Um, and I I think actually. Uh, I it's the first film that I've seen that seems to be playing with one genre mm-hmm. and also has integrity, heart, intelligent writing, doesn't underestimate the uh, intelligence of the audience. Yeah. Um, and I think that's one of the reasons I came out of the film feeling fantastic, despite also it being a serious, dark and upsetting issue, yeah. no more prevalent today than, uh, you know, and this week than any other week yeah. when we look at... Uh, protests uh revolving black lives matter movement yeah. um and george floyd like it, it's so relevant and could make you feel depressed or mm-hmm. uh, and the horror of 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 reality could be terrifying but actually it uses the horror genre as escapism from the actual reality horror yeah. which allows you to intellectually process the, the the reality horror yeah and in a way actually made me hopeful yeah the, the fact that the film existed made me feel good Maybe that's also a lot to do with uh, me being having white privilege and um, um, and being a white man, um, but I I felt that that was really really strong and I and I and I resonated resolution with Get Out a lot. Yeah. Interestingly enough, in the article I read, it also said um, that there were comparisons between 
the work of Benson and Moorhead and films like Hereditary and Quiet Place. Yeah. I don't haven't seen Hereditary. Um, I've seen bits of A Quiet Place. Yeah. Um, on, well, I've seen it talked about on clip shows, so I kind of know what they're on about. Yeah. Um, but yeah, really, really interesting. Um, what I also think is interesting is that we've talked a lot about H.P. Lovecraft and uh, the um, mumblecore films um, yeah. that were kind of inspired by improvisational uh, naturalism um, and also ruthless violence and all of that is kind of explored in VHS. I think Bone Stream was their entry uh, yes, in the was, VHS yeah. thing and that was quite violent. Yeah. Um, and they and, and apparently Benson and Moorhead said, "Oh, that's really great. We're always, you know, it's great to be, uh, you know, associated with guys mm-hmm. like that." Although, to be honest, when I was uh, when they were making films as as, as a student, um, yeah. and uh, Aaron Benson, I believe, was just following punk, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. bands around the country. They say they weren't really heavily influenced by any of it, and yeah. both of them claimed to be entirely ignorant of H.P. Lovecraft <laughs> until they made The Endless. Yeah. So they and don't know who... They, they're not referencing Lovecraft yeah. consciously in either Resolution or the film I'm going to talk about next, which is Spring. I find which that is, ridiculous. Which is fascinating as well when you talk about um, uh, Guillermo del Toro. Yeah. Uh, again, one of the most celebrated horror directors ever. Um, Pan's Labyrinth. And, and just and directors. The Hellboy ever, franchise well. and all that stuff. Um, uh, said that uh, Spring is the only Lovecraftian film he's seen that's blown him away ever. And it, they weren't even aware of Lovecraft when they made it. Isn't that amazing? I mean, that is really, really cool. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. And, and I, I think, while whilst we're kind of talking about influences and influencers, um, for me, interestingly, a name that never came up when I was doing research for them. And I'm and I'm stunned because for me there is one uh, not taking away from at all from their originality or, or their kind of bravery and their uniqueness as filmmakers because I do think that's all true and I don't think there are I don't think they are aping or homaging anyone that much but for me when you talk about the idea of genre bending horror when you talk about the the uh, cosmic horror and the fact that that you're you're um, uh, playing with your audience's perceptions of reality. Um, I think the director that I can see in their work hugely is David Lynch. Um, yeah, that's I, a really good point. I, I think I think these films are are, are the horror of the white picket Lynchian. fence and the the perfect lawn and, le- and that and, being sinister and what than... lurks beneath. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, especially I think if you think um, about, I mean, I mean, uh, Blue Velvet, uh, uh, Blue Velvet. I'm thinking of, um, uh, uh, but even more so, I think some of his lesser known things like Lost Highway um, uh, has very much a similar feel to. Uh, the endless, particularly, um, I think. I think uh, Eraserhead going right back to the start of his work as well. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, I see, I see Lynch hugely in in uh, in in their work. Um, That's brilliant. Yeah. There was also, just a little quote here about the idea of genre bending. Um, apparently, um, this is uh, from Justin Benson. He said. Um, because again being questioned on the idea of genre and you know not following the ideas of uh, following the horror genre 
um, and bending those rules. Uh, Benson said, once you get into the ideas of genre, it becomes a bit absurd. Okay, Wedding Crashes isn't a horror movie, but <laughs> we're trying to find a way to talk about how the world is. And he says, man, if you think it's scary, let's talk about why... You, if you think it's horror, let's talk about why you find it scary. That's what's interesting. Yeah, um, it, you know, it's, it's, it's fascinating. Um, uh, my mum's always told me uh, uh, about the fact that she finds it really funny that her and my dad's favourite horror films don't make the other one scared at all. <laughs> yeah. Um uh so like um you know my mum's always been really scared of of the exorcist she can't watch it and uh and dad's uh always said that it's uh whatever happened to baby jane the Uh, davis film um which isn't really a horror it's creepy it's creepy but but you know um i wouldn't say it was a yeah yeah and 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 you know does that play you know probably says it's because dad's scared of mad women (laughs) 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 um you know and 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 you know with with mum maybe it's the a a, a religious connotation thing or i did but but it's it's yeah we, we all as individuals will have uh, that's the great thing I think about horror is it is so subjective, maybe more than any other genre. Yeah. Um, and and uh, yeah, that's yeah, that's it's kind of impossible to talk about what makes us scared because I don't think there is an us when it comes to fear. You know, that's yeah. why you have specific phobias, and someone can you know uh, pick up a spider with their bare hands off the ground, and someone would run out of a room if they saw one. And you know, so it's yeah. It, but I guess if you're going to kind of gamble for something that most people probably do fear, it is a fear of kind of your world being shattered in yeah. that way. I I I think you'd be hard pressed to find someone who wouldn't be scared about. You know, we're again talking about you know current times. It's a scary and uncertain world we're living in at the moment because. No, none of us really certainly very few of us who are alive now have ever experienced anything like this before so th- yeah. this is kind of what we're talking about um and that's the reason why chris in resolution is saying uh at various points to mike i'm happy with my life the way it is because i know how it, how it's going to end and he's saying well that's going to end in your death and he's like yeah. yeah and i go out on my terms and that yeah. line comes back again in the endless We'll talk about that. But this idea of doing things on my terms, doing things on our own mm-hmm. terms, being sure of the world we're in and yeah. being happy with the rules that that plays by. And it seems like both Benson and Moorhead have a, a, a passion or desire yeah. to find a way of bending the rules of expectation and the rules of normality for yeah. everyone, no matter who watches their movies. Yeah. Well, I, I, and I, but I mean, it's, it's, it's amazing, really, when you strip back any film how many films do really come down to free will versus fate and that argument is seen time and time across all genres across um you know all all decades spanning the history of film it's it's such a a fundamental concept i think um uh come you know religion versus science i think it comes down to this and that's certainly 
there in spring especially but i think there's elements of that across all of the films um before we move on to uh spring although we're jumping all over the place yeah. i just want to uh, mention um bill oberst jr oh. who um is the yeah. guy who both of us looked at each other when he came on screen yeah. resolution as a moment where just one scene uh mike goes up to a caravan to try and um tell him that his dog's died uh and if you've seen it you know what i'm talking about if you haven't stopped listening um <laughs> and he just gives this incredible kind of short exchange of words yeah. and then this amazing kind of monologue and it's just mesmerizing yeah and i couldn't see anything well known that he'd kind of done on imbd but mm-hmm. i think he did the hellboy trilogy which is oh, really? Del Toro, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. so maybe there's something in benson warhead going we want that guy <laughs> yeah yeah because yeah. he's just mesmerizing and it's oh, um, yeah amazing amazing performance but they're all they're all great performances Every, there's not yeah. ever a, there's not a moment you get taken out of the film no no and and again majority of people they use relatively well-known performers mm. um and i was uh, uh get re- re- reading interview with them and they were asked about that and justin benson was saying look we've been even if it's not in our own films, we've been around this industry now enough and, and especially working with uh, Ridley Scott and things like that to know how long you have to just sit on a project waiting for big name cast to, to sign and the contract negotiations. And, and yeah. they said they they can't do it. They have to go out and make the Once they've written it, they've got to go. They've got to go and do it yeah. and make it. Um and they said they just don't have the time or the patience to wait around for big name actors to decide whether or not they want to do the film. So that's that's kind of their and sort and, of and, and and so these are described as micro budget movies. Yeah, All three I, of the films are talking about. Yeah, uh, um, I I don't have the finance for Spring or The Endless, but I know Resolution. Their first one was twenty grand budget, which is I mean nothing tiny. Um, yeah um and also just one more thing about the beautiful title the first thing uh, i kind of wanted to talk to you about when the film ended yeah um was resolution because it it's all about the literal material film yeah um and as we know we always talk about the resolution of a camera and how you know how yeah. that works you were talking about the ending um of uh, the ending of a narrative um yeah you know you have that being a resolution resolved but you also you know you've got new year's resolutions being giving up something yeah and which is a, what he's thing. trying to do yeah i just thought what a smart name for very easy yeah but yeah. also not one that's going to get them uh like it's not a commercial name yeah <laughs> you go, well, resolution yeah, yeah, what does yeah, that yeah, mean yeah. it means everything go watch the film come back and talk to me after yeah. that <laughs> um see so but it did you know it came out and it did it did well um it, modest theatrical release um uh did did the festival circuit i think it won a couple of awards at tribeca film festival in new york which is a fairly big one de niro's involved in it and that's where it picked up a distributor and did and yeah did kind of work well enough for them to get greenlit on their second film and get a bit more money behind it um which, which you can tell going yeah. in towards spring you can see that there's a bigger budget um not from the first few, few frames yeah, but yeah as you go forward you go oh hang on yeah this yeah. is they've got some money yeah and i mean you've got and you've got uh uh lou taylor pucci who is by no means an, an, a name actor but is still someone you'd recognize from doing other things and has been around certainly has a bit more of a pedigree than the other people that they've tended to use um uh so already yeah you kind of go oh I've seen that actor in other things, therefore this does feel like a bit of a bigger film. I hadn't seen either Lou Taylor or uh, the 
co-star Nadia Hilka, mm. um, who I just, again, they are both fantastic. Oh. Um, yeah. And it's almost, you know, it's almost the majority of the movie is just these two. Yeah. Um, bar a very kind of gritty opening, which kind of gives you a bit of a bum steer as yeah. to what the as as to where the movie's going to go, but again becomes paramount and becomes really important yeah. and poignant. Um, so Spring starts out at, the, at this like almost like an art house style movie, yeah. uh, and about a guy who who's lost his mother. Yeah, yeah, dies. that's what we we that's the first thing we Very see moving. is yeah, his mum dying and you think okay, it's going to be a drama about a young man coping with the recent loss of his mum. Um he goes out to the bar. Goes out to the bar gets in a bar fight and you think oh right, yeah, I think I know where this is going. Then it sort of becomes this kind of road movie where he takes a, decides to go to Italy by himself and becomes embroiled with these absolutely abhorrent Brits abroad. I mean, so for, for, for maybe considering we have quite a few listeners in the States, Canada, um, but also France, I'm sure a lot of, and Portugal, yeah. um, you, you know, if you don't know the British tourist, yeah, I'm sorry, guys, it's like, what can, you just got to take that hit. Yeah. Yeah. We are terrible tourists. Um, it, it's, it's so accurate as well. We all know fire. those guys, right? Yeah, we all know. As soon them. as they yeah. get in the car, yeah. we come on, we. And again, the, I mean, you mentioned uh, after we finished watching Spring, you said, you know, you can, it, it feels like there's a more solid script there than it does in Resolution. I, d- I do think but, that. But I still think at the same time, clearly the way, the way they write is so beautifully conversational that mm-hmm. it's just like it's yeah so real it's 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 some of the realest yeah. conversations i've seen in, in in film um and and i love that because i mean we were talking about this they're not worried about making it sound interesting or pretty or yeah like it's, it's just, they're interested in in it being real and but, i think that's and, and but i think i think it's i think you said uh, on one of our podcasts recently um and you're very you know astute to say that that essentially film is a is a is a media is a medium for for the director right rather mm. than that it's um what is it you say oh i i think i said film 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 is driven by plot whereas theater is driven by character I think yeah the point and, I was making. but there's something and and despite the fact that Benson and Moorhead can clearly know their way around a camera, I mean it's yeah. so beautifully oh, shot. Oh, yeah. Um, cinematography is is phenomenal. It feels like they're beautifully capturing something that isn't necessarily beautiful, but if you look at it a certain way, it is. Yeah. Rather than going, here's some beautiful dialogue. Let's light it really nicely yeah. and get a really good actor to monologue it, and then and then shoot it it's yeah. like no let's just be really talented with a camera it's like what you know amateur photographers who who are just amazing at taking holiday yeah. pictures and they're not even they're just taking pictures and you go god everything you take a pic- shot of looks like art i yeah. wish i could do that like yeah 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 yeah, yeah. It, it, it gives you the feel of that and i think yeah. there's an element of voyeurism there yeah in spring now resolution the voyeurism is is part of the story right yeah. whereas spring we're not being screwed with in the same way uh, the veneer no. is not necessarily about. We haven't got a meta film theme running no. through it. No, no. Although, yeah, it it's more, I guess, subverting what we think about certain genres and things like that. Um, because I mean, at its core, at its core, structurally and emotionally, if you're talking about the kind of narrative arc of the film, 
it's a rom-com. <laughs> which is an <laughs> utterly bizarre thing to say about this film. You'll know if you've seen it. <laughs> but it but it follows the beats yeah. and the three-act structure of a romantic comedy. Guy finds himself abroad. Boy meets girl. Yeah. Um, they, there's a longing look across an Italian square. Yeah. They have a conversation at a bar. It's like a rom-com with an edge. Yeah. It, it's, yeah. I think it feels like. And then, yeah. and then something weird happens. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we find yeah. out that our... Boy, boy meets girl. Boy falls in love with girl. Girl is a uh, um, 2,000-year-old transmorphing monster that gives birth to herself every 20 years. Yeah. Yeah. Beautifully done. <laughs> um, but again, it's even hard to... Like that, that you're that. That's a wonderful um, uh, summary, but it's the type of summary that that Lou Taylor gives yeah. to Nadia Hilke at one point. Yeah. He's like, "Can we just get this straight?" Like, there's a real sense of self awareness and yeah. and the ability to poke fun at their own yeah. storylines. And I mean, one of the things that I love about this film, I was I think I was saying saying to you after we watched it, you know, that the the audacity <laughs> of Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead to make a film about a, a shape-shifting monster woman yeah. uh, from ancient Greece uh, <laughs> and 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 spend so much of the film having that character debunking the idea of supernatural, yeah. uh, you know, and talking about everything being science-based and that she's a scientist and she's there on this island because she's studying DNA. Um, it's a wonderful uh, uh, thing she keeps saying is science is uh, magic is just science we don't understand yet. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I've got a friend who says that all the time as well, yeah. you know, and I love it. I love that way of looking at the world where you go. Yeah. I, I am open minded enough to go that that ghosts could be real. Yeah. But if they are real, we'll eventually be able to explain yeah. them through physics. And I just, you know, what a wonderful yeah. way to live through. And, you know, she turns to him and says, you know, just, just because I'm just, just, just because it's something you haven't seen before doesn't mean it's not based in reality no, yeah. I think that's that that's it was that's a, great. interesting thing apparently um, Justin Benson was raised an atheist with, with mm. very like scientific based kind of parents yeah um, and has never really been religious and always been a bit fascinated by it Aaron Moorhead was raised religious and interesting I think a lot of the discussions that they have are discussions that Benson and Moorhead that's brilliant I didn't um, know that. yeah so so when you yeah I, I I mean I know that the dialogue is written um by uh Justin Benson yeah. uh, that he writes the scripts but I know that they make the films together they yeah. certainly direct the films together um so I think there's a lot of probably a lot of conversations that take place in that apartment yeah uh in California where where they're they're discussing these ideas, and I think some of that c- comes out in comes oh, for sure in the film beautifully. Um, absolutely, and I mean, what one of my I, fact, I think my favorite line in 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 the whole film is is towards the end, and they're they're sat in this church, and um, you know, uh, Lieutenant Pucci's character is asking uh, her about uh, in this church, saying, you know, were you involved in any of this or any mm. of this depiction? And she goes, no, I've always. I've I've always been a student of science, but I think it's pretty, and I like the rituals. <laughs> it's like that's yeah, especially for the Catholic Church. Like yeah. That's yeah, really totally, nice. totally resonated with me being someone that went to Catholic school for five years. Kind of gang. I don't buy any of this, but 
the masses are really good fun because all the priests wear very colorful vestments and you've got the incense and you've got the <laughs> hymns and it's a big sing song and it's all very colorful um, are you saying the catholic church was your gateway drug into musical theater absolutely yeah <laughs> absolutely that's it um yeah Uh, yeah. the same for many i'm sure but i I mean uh, for me i i think um uh spring is my favorite of the three Mm. um i think i think all three films are fab and i think i think with with resolution and with the endless they are films that feel like the filmmakers are exploring something and they're inviting us to take, come on this journey with them kind of experimenting with form and with what cinema can be and things like that and and um and doing it in in a beautifully shot way and doing it, but but I don't think I connected with the characters in the same way in Resolution Endless as I did with Spring. Mm. I think, and I don't, th- and I think there is a level, there is a depth in the kind of philosophy of spring um you know there is so much i've seen it twice now and watching it for a second time the other night I, uh, there was so much that i'd missed from the first time around and so many interesting conversations about what that film's about um you know i, I talked to you afterwards about it 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 some of the things resonated with me on a personal level about previous relationships i'd been in and, and the idea of you know i didn't get this the first time i watched it the second time i watched it i i've decided i decided that actually the film is about saying that true love whatever that means uh or real love is about when two people can accept each other for everything they are all their vulnerability all their flaws you know even if they are a, the a, marilyn monroe quote you know if you don't uh worst don't deserve my best that yeah. everyone has on their bedrooms and stuff but you know it's true it, and i think this is what that for me on the second time i was like this is absolutely what this film is about is the fact that she falls for him and in the end becomes human and becomes mortal but uh because she falls in love with him and it's due to the fact i think that he saw her in this horrific half octopus squid like state i mean that gives the line or you know everyone's spouse can be a bit of a monster sometimes (laughs) like okay she's an actual monster yeah and the cgi is incredible by the way yeah um i it, it reminded me a little bit of the um oh aaron moore had talked about having a background in doing a lot of cgi when he was younger, oh right okay i read um and he said yeah he, he's done a lot of fx before they right. started making films and he said actually it's it's he said when cgi gets difficult is actually when you're trying to create something whole like yeah. like a whole thing so he was like you know we couldn't have put godzilla in that film but you can make a tentacle and you can make that really realistic quite easily. And then all you have to do is superimpose it into another shot of something else. So he was actually saying it's 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 a trick, really, because actually, although the CGI is brilliant, if you look, it's only ever partial yeah. stuff. It's never a full thing of CGI, and it's always integrated with real, with real humans. weight. So there's actually, a weight there. It's, yeah. all, it's more about superimposing. Um, That's interesting. Yeah. That there's also that, that kind of old-school skill there. Yeah. Um, but... Yeah, that this idea of 
yeah, seeing someone at their worst and knowing that that person accepts you for all that you are and loves you anyway. Uh, I mean, in this film, releases enough oxytocin to uh, yeah. make her fall in love and therefore not uh, eat her own, regenerate the the cells of her own baby within yeah. her own womb and instead um, carry on and live with him and but eventually die. I, you know what? I also... Sorry. Just, just that it was incredibly romantic. Yeah. Um, and I think that there is a real romance to a film that is quite cynical and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, a script that is, is cynical and witty and, and self-aware and world-weary and real. Yeah. But also there's an incredible optimism there. Yeah. Um, and I just that, think that that kind of spoke to what you're saying. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah, it is. It's uh, it's it's actually a film that, that's full of joy um, in a weird way. Yeah. Um, but I, I just, it, a film that I think you have to talk about when you talk about this film, actually, is um, uh, John Landis's An American Werewolf in London, which I think is a film that, um, one, because they there's a shot when she is transforming into uh, some sort of wolf-like hmm. creature. Um, and and it's it's absolute homage to the transformation scene from American Werewolf in London. Um, but also the way that that john landis straddles horror and comedy in <laughs> uh in that film as well is 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 so similar i think to to the balance they strike in spring and and the the like the realism of a person being forced to transform like like how annoying it is and like the logistics of just what a, what a, yeah it's horrific but it's also a pain in the ass. Yeah. Like, it, like there's a there's a reality. It's exhausting. There's a reality that I think they they get into that in in spring. And in fact, she she says it, you know, um, a few times uh, towards the end of the film when it's all been kind of released. And she, you know, talking about what a total nightmare it is at one point to him. And she has to take shots of different chemical. And, yeah. There's a wonderful moment where she's starting to fall to pieces, like mm. a, a looks a bit like a zombie. Yeah. Um, and he's like, you should take one of your shots because your yeah. face is falling apart. Yeah, yeah. And then they leave and there's this old Italian woman yeah. and she's praying with her husband and he says, what's wrong? And she went, there was a zombie taking heroin in there. <laughs> yeah. It's just like that sense of humour that you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. it could be very American werewolf. Yeah. Um, also, I just this idea of the woman regenerating and I, I have no idea whether this is in there or not, but there's just something a little bit kind of supernaturally feminist about this yeah uh, the idea that a woman has to break down her own reproductive system on a monthly basis mm-hmm. um or in this case uh, 20, 20 year years period, but yeah. um, there's a kind of allegory there i wonder um if we're talking about the power of women as a as a life-giving force mm. um and or people with wombs uh having that I think is incredibly powerful. Yeah. And also something quite cursed about it. Yeah. Um, it sucks that she has to give up her immortality for true love, but also you can't have true love and live forever because there would be no yeah. reason to fall in love. Yeah. Would there? Without yeah. mortality. So there's it, it, a lot of layers there. And but... this is a thing that comes up in The Endless as well. And it's obviously a thing that both filmmakers are, are, are interested in talking about because they keep coming back to this idea of is mortality 
a desirable thing or not yeah. is is it is do you, do you is it better to live forever or is it better to to live a human existence is is prevalent largely in spring but it's also what the endless ends up becoming about completely um completely and i I think that there's also conversations that that chris has with mike in resolution about like the point of living yeah you know if if we think that the conversation yeah i mean there's there's a very part i mean extremely powerful i found in in resolution where chris turns to mike and says can you just let me die uh let me kill myself the way that i want to yeah so it's like he's aware he's not he's not an addict that's lost control he's you know it's like uh nicholas cage in leaving las vegas he's he's made the decision and he's going to go down that path and he just wants to be left to do it the way he wants to do it which is there's something incredibly powerful and incredibly heartbreaking about someone so resolute being on that path you know um uh, very Resolute. very moving again I get, yeah again. <laughs> yeah they're, they're smart what guys a, they're clearly smart guys yeah um yeah i think that very powerful and, and and i love that uh but there was also something amazingly powerful about having one female lead in a movie who takes up majority of the camera time who is a powerful man-eating monster who tears the dick off a, a, a john who thinks that she's a prostitute at one point yeah um who it, all the violence comes from her, not done to her. I thought yeah. that was... How many horror films do you see yeah. where all the victims of the violence are men who mm. who are objectifying someone yeah. and the perpetrator of the violence is actually the sympathetic, likeable person going yeah. through that? And I just thought it's an interesting genre flip when we talk about how often ho- the horror genre of all genres yeah. tends to fall into so many traps. Yeah. Uh, and I say that like it's not their fault. <laughs> they no. tend to make um, a lot of mistakes. There's there's a very... Um, uh, uh, it's an excellent film. It came out around about the same time. Uh, it's a, an, an Iranian vampire film called uh, A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night, I believe. Um, or much called A Girl Walks Home Alone. But yeah, uh, you'd be able to find it. I really recommend that. And that does a very similar... Uh, thing and I think it, it, it's it's uh, that film's an incredibly uh, I, I would consider it an incredibly feminist film as well because it, it it does exactly what you've just explained there that Spring does um, flipping it on its head and, yeah. and and again it's sad that by doing that you're making a political statement I'm sure it's not even the motivation but it is yeah it is feminist by that standpoint which yeah. is great but yeah just wonderfully optimistic film that isn't remotely cheesy or saccharine no skillfully made and i think that it is made again as is resolution but spring very i think i agree with you there's a lot more heart in this yeah. movie um yeah. and uh i i just i urge you to see it I yeah just, i i you know. I, I, honestly, I think it's a bit of a masterpiece um uh on the second time of watching it i think it's 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 potentially i think gone into my kind of top 20 favorite films ever i wow. I, I, yeah. I i adore it um, high praise there from shopland <laughs> i think yeah i i i i i can't fault it actually i really can't fault it as a film i i think it's a perfect film um and then yeah and then we come to uh the endless which is uh their most recent offering well, although they did do a film last year um that i think did the festival circuit 
that hasn't had wide release yet, obviously, because of the virus and everything. I um, see, it's put everything but kind of back. There is an upcoming film. Um, and they're working on a TV series about Alistair Crowley. Uh, oh, well. Which is interesting. I mean, yeah. I would say that they must have been influenced by kind of that kind of yeah. stuff, but maybe probably not. Yeah. Probably someone's come up to them and gone, Do you, you, must, be, you must love Alistair Crowley. <laughs> yeah. As to who? Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah. The, the next film, I, fa- I found it quite difficult knowing and i did this because i knew we watched this film this evening and we're writing uh, doing the podcast you know after that so i read this article beforehand and explained that this film was made under particularly kind of tragic circumstances yeah unbelievable um so for those of you you haven't seen the film stop (laughs) go and watch it come back watched it good so um Benson's mother um, killed herself just before yeah. the filming, as in days before Three the filming. Three days of this. before, I believe. Um, which is horrendous as it is. But also, you can't talk about that without talking about the fact that the film is is about a suicide cult. Yeah. Um, and to, to make the decision to do that. Yeah. Uh, is incredibly interesting and also uh, even more interesting when the fact that Benson's dad apparently um, he was the caterer was the right? catering yeah. manager yeah and so uh, they were very clear you know to say that we, none of our work is autobiographical um, yeah. despite the fact that they're playing they're in this film starring yeah. as Justin and Aaron yeah which I find fascinating yeah um, but yeah, uh, they can't get away from the fact that there is a, obviously a lot of grief yeah. uh, in that. Also, being on a micro budget, um, even if it's more than £20,000, I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. they they were all, the cast and crew were sharing cabins together in the woods and um, yeah. in California where they were shooting it. So there was a real bond and everyone was very much aware mm-hmm. of what they were both going through because obviously... Yeah they known each other a long time and, and um, were grieving for that in their own separate ways. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, The Endless takes us to California. These two characters, Justin and Aaron, played by the writer-directors, and they're fantastic. Like, what can these guys not do? Yeah. Um, they DA, they, send it, they, they, they shoot it, it so they are it, the DOPs. It, it terrifies me, because I'm just like, how, how we... I mean... Ob- it is easier to do, obviously, with where I th- I I believe it's impossible to do in theatre. I don't think you can direct yourself. Um, uh, and this is a long time ago. It became very nearly that I had to do that, but luckily I didn't. Um, uh, <laughs> but yeah, the 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 idea even doing it in film terrifies me. Um, and you know, you're just lucky that you can kind of set up a shot and do it and watch the rushes back and then you know kind of direct in between takes. Yeah. Um. Uh. Which I assume they probably would have done a lot of here. Um. Uh. But you were saying you noticed on resolution they uh, and spring that they have quite a lot of editors working. There are about films, five editors which on is spring. Interesting. Yeah. Um. And. And 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 I th- I thought that that was re- yeah interesting that maybe that's where a lot of the collaboration happens mm. because as we all know a film. If you've ever seen the director's cut of Apocalypse Now, it's it's quite a different film from <laughs> yeah. like. Yeah. You know, if uh, and a lot longer. Um, yeah. You know that there is a lot of uh, filmmaking happens in the in the cutting room, and I think it's one of the reasons why I, I'm glad that 
you know, uh, the Academy Awards, no matter what you think of them, it's nice to see editors getting a bit more recognition. Yeah. Um, because they are so important. Oh, um, yeah. I, in fact, actually, um, you hung out with uh, Richard Lindmaker's latest uh, yeah, editor Sandra. for a, a few days yeah, in yeah, LA. Yeah, yeah, Sandra Dare. Um, uh, yeah, it's... it's uh, I've got to, yes... Um, sit in her editing suite um she was doing uh, everything must go the will ferrell film Amazing, at yeah. the time um, and, and but and watching like her Boyhood, put together right? the first yes yeah she was nominated for an award for, uh, academy award for it um but yeah she uh um uh, uh the mother of a friend of ours um and uh fascinating watching and it's all about rhythm it's about it's it it's it's not about being flashy. It's not about um you know jump cuts or anything. It's it's really it it's about feeling when w- the rhythm of when the camera should change. Mm. You know? Um, and, which is and, fascinating. Yeah. So I so I think maybe that's where they fall back on when they need external voice or other voices is maybe these that's why they have so many editors. Um, because yeah, it's it's quite something to to act to act. Right, produce, DOP, yeah. edit. Um and a lot of trust I think as well. Yeah. If your collaborator you know, I mean, again, you and I have worked together on a lot of things where you, you do, you have to be really certain yeah. of what you're both trying to create on the same page and then you have to trust each other, uh, to make sure that the other one does a good job. Yeah. Like it just yeah. you know, nudge. So yeah, um, so so essentially the film uh on the face of it is about two brothers that were in a cult when they were much younger and the older brother rescues the younger brother and they leave it and it's they 10 escape. Years, they escape and it's 10 years later and because the younger brother was so young he only ever saw the good side of it and things like that and the older brother's obviously very skeptical about it and very wary and saying you know they're a suicide cult that's the kind of thing um and they get a video from one of the uh, uh, members who was with them who's still there and uh, gives them a bit of cause for concern so they decide to go and spend 24 hours back at this and yeah. revisit and things start to take a strange turn from there in funnily enough much the same way as they take a strange turn in resolution yeah it's this idea of going out to the country into the desert essentially mm-hmm. and um and it reminded me a little bit of I don't know where it was shot, but like Joshua Tree footage. Oh yeah, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. That's um, California Desert, yeah. That kind of part of of that, and um, there's they go out into and and weird stuff starts to happen, and you kind of go yeah, but again it's not shot like that, and the music doesn't there isn't there's hardly any music in this. It yeah. is quite a bit in spring, and it's beautiful, um, and 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 you you don't really notice it, but it's beautiful. Um, there's hardly if if, if there's any in resolution i can't remember and there's hardly any in the endless um so it does and you know you talk about david lynch um it reminds me of um i use this example quite a lot twin peaks where like everything just feels like it's off kilter slightly yeah and so even if you're watching something normal it makes you uneasy yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. in resolution yeah you have that in in the endless as well and i think it's that's it's when you say much in the same way yeah. it's not like oh here we go it's like why does this feel weird yeah and that is that feeling which yeah. is so much more interesting yeah yeah so the i f- i find the endless interesting as a a piece of film as a project because i whilst i agree it's an excellent film 
I don't know how it stands up as a film if you've not seen Resolution. Oh, that's a really good point. Because yeah. for me, the whole purpose of the film, after about the first 20 minutes, becomes explaining what you've seen in Resolution. Even though it is not a direct sequel, it's very much a shared universe and characters from Resolution come back in. And, and essentially, you know, you talked, when we talked about Resolution, you, you talked about them being in a loop. We actually had no idea they were in a loop until we watched this film. This is the yeah. film where they talk about time loops. So that explains it. So it sort of feels like you need both films for them both. No, I don't think, I think Resolution works because we hadn't seen The Endless. And yeah. I think, I don't think if I, had I not seen The Endless, it wouldn't have changed and it wouldn't have changed anything, but Endless is definitely enhanced by knowing, by having seen Resolution. Yeah. Having said that, if you don't know Resolution and you're watching Endless, then you're still being introduced to these characters. You're yeah. still finding them on the way back to his father. I'd be interested. I mean, we can't go back and do that because no. we've seen them. But um, yeah. yeah, in fact, actually, maybe if there's anyone out there who really wants to do it, if you haven't watched the films yet, yeah. then you're very naughty yeah. but also make sure you watch endless first and yeah and then and tell us yeah, uh, I'd, I'd, what you found i'd be really interested although now that now that i'm saying it i've got something in the back of my head that my sister and brother-in-law might have done it that way around oh okay if they have i'll we'll we'll let you know on yeah. the next any requests what they said but um it, it's it, it's still a great film within its own right um, it just was something that struck me. It felt As very the film enhanced. progresses, us going, oh, that's that so character. much like a companion piece. And yeah. I feel like a lot of my enjoyment of the film was because it gave answers to some of the stuff in Resolution. Yeah, definitely. Um, so it turns out that you get there and the cults seem absolutely fine mm. to the point where they're like, look, we're not a cult. Stop telling everyone we're a cult. You told the media lies about us. Yeah. We're, we're just a commune and we sell beer. Yeah. And everything you sell, if we're, like we, it's our business, right? Yeah. We go off to sell beer to make money for our little commune. And, you, and people are asking us about rumours that you've spread and we're not. And you really feel for these guys. Yeah. You go, oh, yeah, why can't you just be a... Yeah. And occasionally they'll say something like, um, can we do something a little bit culty right now? Like, they'll, yeah. they'll make jokes. There's that cynicism and sense of humour and self-awareness yeah. of the characters and the movie as a whole, which, again, as I've mentioned in the last two movies, yeah. is is a very charming trait of Benson Moorhead throughout. Um, I I would say there's this... It, it, it goes from... There's a moment where... I don't know whether we're meant to shift our allegiance to from Justin to Aaron into Aaron being the younger brother where mm -hmm. Justin, it turns out that he's lied about some of the things he said. Yeah. Uh, and are we meant to kind of go, Oh, that's, that's mean. And we, are we being played there? Because if so, I don't think I entirely bought that swerve. No, I don't, I don't, I don't think so. I don't think they are filmmakers who ask an audience to side with anyone i think they present people as people yeah. um it was something i talked about with spring saying i really like the fact that that lou taylor pucci's character isn't like the most amazing man in the world so therefore yeah. you go oh in two thousand years 
uh, it's because this is the best per this is the best person she's ever he's met. Decidedly and that's average the- guy, isn't yeah, he? Yeah, he's just he's he's fine. He's nice. He's he's relatively intelligent. I mean, he went to Berkeley, uh, so you know, quite intelligent, but also you know says says stuff that's uh, um, a, you know he's a little bit sexist every now and then. And he's a he's American young dude, that, guy, that's, yeah, yeah, just kind of flawed. A, a bit flawed and and but then he talks about having to leave berkeley to look after his mum then he says yeah. i i hate that i've turned into one of the guys at the bar i work in that yeah. i swore i'd never become yeah but he has become that yeah he's not someone who's being modest he is yeah. just decidedly yeah. the average yeah. so so i don't think they're interested as filmmakers really in in whether you follow or sympathize with a certain character over another i think they just show people as as, as people there are no, there's no hero stuff no going on here and i think again if you're making three films that are of the of the horror genre or subgenre of cosmic horror um but you're making that these these movies with again an astute sense of structure but not a conformity to structure yeah it's left to us to decide what what will well, well, clearly there's a pattern so what is the pattern and for me i think it's really clear in the endless that this is about the internal journey of both brothers yeah so if there was a hero of the movie it would be these two brothers yeah but equally there's no one hero over yeah. the other or one central character and i think that in spring it's about essentially her personal internal journey yeah and there's a couple and in resolution, it's uh, it's about probably more so Chris, even though Mike seems yeah. to be the protagonist. So the the journey of despite of the setting, the storyline, the circumstances the characters are in, you could probably put them in any other circumstance or scenario, mm-hmm. and they w- could still go on that emotional journey. And that is the yeah. hook for me. Yeah, and I I, th- I think I think that the you know. The idea that they that they learn that essentially it's this entity that we talked about in resolution, and that for the entity's enjoyment, this entity sticks people in time loops, mm-hmm. uh, and they seem to be varying different amounts of time. There's a character that is in a three-hour time loop um, that just continually kills himself because he doesn't want to give the entity the satisfaction of yeah. being the one to kill him. Um, uh, there's someone that um that aaron stumbles across who's in about a five second time loop who just keeps over and over and over and over again trying to um get out of it yeah horrendous and i in the credits i don't know if you spotted but he's credited as 1900 man really means he's been over a century (laughs) in a five second time loop um there's a gramophone playing in the background yeah um so i think um the idea of of and and that's when they realize this that's again the conversation that happens in spring with the two of them talking about you know he's saying to her you know and she's like i'm not gonna give up eternity for you yeah i met you last week you know kind of thing and they have this conversation about what's why don't you want to wouldn't it be better to just have a finite life what's 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 the benefit of living forever kind of thing and yeah. then a very similar conversation happens with justin and aaron in in the endless once they know about the loop and aaron's actually saying do you know what i don't care i, I wouldn't mind being stuck in this loop oh, i think yeah. this place is great you know and uh it's it's better than having to live 
living seven days for eternity is mon- the mundanity it's, yeah. of life it's not well, like, it's, it's not seven days for them is it it's it's uh 20 uh 10 years 10 years every year, 10 years 10 year think, time yeah. loop yeah um and he's saying you know i i the mundanity of life it's like the banality of evil like yeah. the drudgery of desperately trying to work every day and they work as clean as they think they've got yeah. kind of cleaning outfits on at the beginning of the movie it's like we work our butts off and we still can't pay the rent and we still can't pay, like we're not getting anywhere because disparity of the minimum wage is so is so yeah. awful like that is that is yeah. not worth that i would much rather live a false life on a decade loop and have to Camille might go, yeah. you know, go through what is in the film described as the ascension where three full moons appear in the sky yeah. everything goes weird and people go and regenerate but what i what i think is interesting um and whether this is deliberate or not i don't know but what i think is really interesting about the endless and resolution is that actually i think the endless inverts what resolution does so resolution right i think is a film that on the face of it is about a friend trying to come to terms with the other friend's addiction and trying to help him right Mm -hmm. whereas actually what the film is about is is the nature and power of film and cinema itself and and what it can do and are we all slaves to film and things like that you know deep down the endless i think on the face of it is a sci-fi film about time loops and the nature of film (laughs) yeah but actually what the film is really about is about uh a young guy trying to get over this idealized vision of his past that he had and come to terms with his future so actually i think it inverts in in resolution it's a personal story masking a meta story yeah and in the endless it's a meta story masking a personal <laughs> that's story, a really interesting um take yeah I, I, I get that for me that final bit where they where they do spoiler alert break through the loop the, yeah. the barrier and they make it out and they're not stuck in the loop just as it's about to close i for me i felt that was a total metaphor of the closure of aaron yeah. finally giving up this idealized vision of his childhood in this cult yeah and finally accepting real life in in the real world um and, okay. and as much as it is a um a, a a catalyst for uh justin to relinquish his control over his brother's life as well you know it, it, yeah it's, yeah yeah it's a it's a metaphor of a moment of change in both of them rather than a wider I think thing. I think you're absolutely right, and I think if the if the uh, the uh, immediate objective of Mike is to get Chris clean, uh, and Chris's objective is to die on his own terms, Aaron's objective is to gain autonomy over his life. Yeah, and in all, and and Justin's objective is to save his brother, and they both complete each other's objectives once they stop trying to. <laughs> right? Yeah, it's when. It's not until Chris actually gets away from Mike at the very end of the film, goes to get the crack out of the fire, realises he can't. Mike's given up and said, right, you want to run into a fire? Run into a fire. Yeah. And then he says, okay, take me to rehab. <laughs> like, yeah. um, It's the moment where he says, fine, okay, if you want to stay, fine. Yeah. And he's like, oh, that's all I needed. Let's go. Yeah. Uh, th- th- yeah, there is something really powerful about that. Um, I mean, yeah, I wrote, like, it's a film about two brothers trying to redefine their roles as adults after a traumatic start in life. Yeah. And 
and within that there is a lot of commentary on how like how difficult it is to survive in a reality where you you don't seem to have any choice yeah um but yeah, I I was so happy when they broke through. I was so happy mm. when they broke through out into the real world. And I don't really get involved in films that often. Yeah. But again, I think it's just because it feels it feels like watching a Benson and Moorhead film is like being allowed to like if watching a Hollywood like Wedding Crashes or yeah. any you know they mentioned it. Or a kind of standardised movie is like taking a museum tour with the tour guide in your ears. Yeah. Watching a Benson Moorhead film is like being able to do a museum tour on your own yeah. without any guide. Being able to look at what you like yeah. in whatever order you like. I know, obviously, that's not true. Obviously, no. I'm being guided through the material, but it yeah. makes me feel like I'm not. Yeah, I, I, I think that's really true. I think, um, uh, uh, again, we've talked a lot on this podcast about um, uh, comparisons and other films it's reminded us of... Uh, uh, I think an, another film to mention, a very recent film that you and I went to see at the cinema, was The Lighthouse. I uh, loved Rob, The Lighthouse. Uh, Robert Robert Eggers' film, who also did The Witch, which is a, a, a great film. Um, Robert Robert Patterson and Willem Dafoe, yeah, both absolutely storming it. I don't know what I didn't know what to do with myself. But I think what Robert Eggers does in that film, which is what uh, Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead do, I think in all three films, is they're structured in a way that totally screws with your perception of time. <laughs> yeah. Um, a, a spring in particular, I feel like you're in Bologna for a week yeah, with yeah, him. Yeah. It feel, when the time that film ended, it's an hour 50. When that film ended, I was like, I feel like I've... I've got a good idea ...been of Bologna. in this yeah. real-time relationship or over a week with you. Um, much like when the lighthouse ended, we couldn't remember a time we weren't in a lighthouse. Oh, um, it was... You know, it, it honestly, it felt yeah. like it went on for days in a great way. And I think, and I think that's connected to what you're saying about it. It, it, it doesn't guide you in a linear way, the way a lot of films do. So therefore you're not conscious of how long this film is because it's not, it doesn't hit the beats in the way yeah. that a conventional film does with your inciting incident and your yeah. climax of anymore and your you know and you you know where you are in a aristotelian structure yeah. yeah uh uh of drama and dramatics and and that's not there in a lot of their films in in a great way you know i think it's not there in some films because some films are bad but i think these are brilliant films that managed to to that have managed to have been created yeah in, in in a way that doesn't guide you through but just makes you live in their world for a bit and i think yeah. that's a really lovely thing there was um there was a, a question in the interview i read um and it said what you know what do you what do you what are you trying to do and they said we try to that we try very hard to create a myth that hasn't existed before <laughs> um well that no one's heard of before yeah. i thought that's a beautiful way of looking at absolutely uh, at their work and then there was another thing of saying, where would you like to be? Mm. And they said, well, obviously we'd like to get bigger budgets so that we can pay the people we work with more money because yeah. everyone's working on no money with these films or very little. Um, but they also said it would be nice to get to a stage where they could do that without because people knew it was them. And they made a comparison with the Coen brothers and said, yeah. like, if you, you go see a Coen brothers movie because it's a Coen brothers movie. 
I don't want you to come and see a, a, a Benson and Moorhead film because they stuck a woman with blood covered all over it on the on the front poster. Yeah. I want you to come and see it because it says Benson and Moorhead. Yeah. And I thought, well, you you absolutely done that. You're oh, I would say me, so. I'd say I already would... already they're there. You know, I and um, it was something you said the other day that I that I loved, and you said you know they so far what they seem to have done is they've created a body of work not just a collection of films and i think that's what it feels like you know there are you know you take someone like spielberg who is different because he's obviously very commercial didn't always used to be but but you know and and you look at um uh uh the color purple um 1941 um saving private ryan war of the worlds like that it's he's all over the map in style and substance and, and and setting and all those things um whereas yeah you look at these guys and and whilst spring isn't within this same shared universe they all feel there's there's a progression in the films they're making and the stories they're telling there's there's overall themes that exist in all of those films i, I think very much in the way that the coen brothers do um uh and and lots of great great filmmakers um so yeah absolutely i think they're well on their way to doing that great i mean i i am from someone who has no coming to this whole thing completely cold steve i'm very very grateful um for this because i just love them i just love the fact that i I, next time i see a film by benson and moorhead i'll be like yeah great dave let's go to the cinema absolutely let's see it on the big screen absolutely and i would recommend you to obviously you've already watched it because you're still listening yeah um but also to recommend your i would say recommend spring to your friends yeah definitely absolutely um and and support independent films don't just go and watch studio stuff um because yep. the most interesting stuff being made right now um and for the last few years is is absolutely on on the independent circuit so get yeah get out there get to your your smaller independent cinemas when they're open again <laughs> Um, in the meantime you can stream uh i think definitely spring you can stream at the bfi bfi player yeah for £3.50. Yeah. Um, yeah um yeah you can get um uh i believe you can get resolution uh rent on amazon or youtube um and uh endless uh the the endless rather is on netflix so there you are yeah um, um yeah all... yeah watch the movie absolutely um so yeah that's uh about it for us and our uh a fascinating uh foray um in in, in into the world of, of benson and moorhead it's been great so yes thank you steve very much for the thank recommendation you. and uh next week we will be with you with our top five intros and outros in music i mean when for a minute there i went oh it sounds like it sounds a lot lighter and i thought actually knowing how deep and geeky you and i will will get i oh, should yeah. imagine it'll probably be more serious than the podcast you've just listened to oh 100 percent, with more Take shouting it. and arguing very serious uh, um, really yeah. yeah really looking forward to that one so uh yeah a great thing about this podcast is uh another diversion and it's all thanks to you guys so um yes as always you can find us and keep in touch with us on twitter at macabre podcaster gmail at podcastermacabra at gmail.com facebook fb.me forward slash podcastermacabra and you can like share subscribe and listen on itunes uh on spotify on google play and plenty of other places to get your podcasts as well and you can still find us on patreon in the link in the description if you do have a spare fiver a month and want us to do one of these podcasts for you we're loving it we're um it's keeping us extremely busy and uh 
keeping us going and well way way into August. So uh, absolutely, it doesn't look like we're going anywhere for any time no. soon. Um, no. So make sure you stay safe. Yeah. Keep washing those hands. Keep washing those hands. Stay two meters, and most importantly, tune in every Monday and Thursday for Jonathan Creek and any requests. In the meantime, I've been Callum Hughes. I've been David Chopland. Thank you for listening. Cheers, guys. Bye. Just a jump to the left. With your hands on your hips.